Lesson 14, here's what I want to talk to you about. So kingdom life. To talk to you about what it means to be in the kingdom within a body. We saw last week in our lesson that it's mandatory to be in a body. There's no way around it, no matter how you look at it. You're, you're created to be with people, and you better know people are going to irritate you. And people are going to offend you. And people are going to get on your nerves. And it's like we're gifted at it. It's like we carry with us this gift to bother other human beings. But, but part of that giftedness is to push me to understand no matter how smart I get or no matter how spiritual I get, this is my thinking. It is impossible, and I use that word strongly, it's impossible to do kingdom with other humans without divine help. We have to have divine help to pull it off. Otherwise, we'll quit, we'll tap out, we'll get hurt, we'll get bitter, we'll get mad, we'll withdraw, because without divine help of how to pull this thing off, we lose it. Let's jump into it. We're going to talk about the kingdom, and in this lesson, we're going to scope the whole thing. So uh, I would love to deep dive it with you, but if we deep dive the kingdom of the Old Testament, the judges, the prophets, the priests, and the kings, we would be here another four years. So I'm going to give you about a four-year history in less than an hour. My prayer is that it will overarc the theme of this Old Testament and maybe what God is attempting to do so that as you read the stories in the future, they will be more meaningful to you. I'm picking up the story tonight of the kingdom from the book of Judges chapter 2. This is what it says. After Joshua sent the people away, each one of the tribes left to take possession of the land allotted to them. And the Israelites served the Lord through the lifetime of Joshua. Joshua was the one that was in the wilderness. And Joshua and Caleb were like, we're going to take them out. We're sick of wandering around. We're going to go take this land. We're going to get into the promised land. And as they do, Joshua dies off. And the leaders that outlived him, and they had seen all the great things the Lord had done. And here's my thought of this. My thought tonight is that God's kingdom government has always been to ordain leaders who will aid in governing his people. There is no way around it. I don't know why. We've made jokes about it in the past. I don't know why God pulls humans in to help him lead this planet. But from the get-go of Adam to present day, right now, 2023, God chooses to use human beings to help him govern planet Earth. Now, as we go through this, that's going to pose a myriad of problems because we're taking a perfected, holy God, full of wisdom and full of power, perfect in beauty, choosing broken, flawed, needy, miserable, pitiful, addicted, habitual, pouty people, and then he says, I want to use you to help me rule and reign. That's amazing. It ought to be so amazing that he's picked us that we're even here. But this is how God is going to do this. Let's jump into it, Judges 2. After that generation, another generation comes along who grew up and they did not acknowledge the Lord. So what we find out is time is passing. And as time passes, God still does not change his mind. You would think that God would change his mind at the generation of Noah. You humans are a literal loss of help. I wish I would have never made you nuke every one of you off the planet, keep eight of you. You think he would just say there's no reason to use these motley crew of people. But God still, from the beginning of time, has always reached his hand into every generation to find people who would dare trust him. And to the people that do put their faith in him, here's what's strange, he shares his authority with them. And he wields, I will use a better word, he yields his power over to them. Now because he does that, we can mess the whole thing up. And we don't need to have our mind a little scattered about that 
because when we read the Bible, we rarely question all of the powers of the evil world that work. Oh, there's demons working in people. There's the magicians of Pharaoh's court that are doing magic and arts and charms. There's wizardry. There's witches and witchcraft. But then you come and go, well, with all of that power of evil working through humans, there is also a divine, holy, heavenly power that resides in people that he wants to use. So it happens in every generation. God is just looking for people to acknowledge him because when you acknowledge him, he invites you into the process. And when he invites you into the process, he begins to mature you. And as he begins to mature you, he begins to share some of his authority with you so you can rule on planet Earth. So that I'm not just down here going, oh God, hurry up and come back, hurry up and come back. He's like, hurry up and come back. Why don't you hurry up and lead and take authority before I come back? Well, these people kind of give God the middle finger. I don't want to serve you. They tapped out. Judges 2, verse 14. This made the Lord, if you've ever wondered if God has emotions, this made the Lord burn with anger against Israel, so he handed them over to the raiders who stole their possession. And he turned them over. Listen how strange this is. God turns them over to their enemies all around, and they were no longer able to resist them. So something very strange happens. God takes his people and says, oh, you don't want me to be in charge of you? Well, if you don't want me in charge of my own government and you want to have your own government, okay. It's kind of like a parent that just backs off and says, go ahead and see what happens. I'll give you a story. Years ago, I was begging my mother and dad to be able to go roll yards on Halloween. (laughs) We did not celebrate Halloween, but I felt like at age 13, I was old enough to celebrate Halloween, and I wanted to go roll a yard. I didn't care whose yard. My my friend Joey got all the toilet paper, and we were going to go egg houses. So we were going to go roll yards and egg houses. That was just a thing to do in the 70s. Won't you miss those good old days? And uh, so I just, I'm a professional powder, so I pouted my way right into my mother's will. And her exact words to me, well, you just go ahead and go then, but you will reap what you sow. Okay, I don't really care about that. I just want to go roll a yard. So I take about 12 things of toilet paper with me. I got an egg or two in my pocket. I go down this corner, which was less than 100 yards away, to the stop sign. And me and Joey think, hey, let's roll the power lines. That'll be fun because somebody will have to come get all the toilet paper off the power lines. We'll kind of start there. So I took my first roll and I hurled it. And right when I let go, I heard this noise. The cops are coming! And I was like, oh my God, the cops. I can't go to jail. I I start hearing the voice of my mother in my soul. (laughs) You will reap what you sow. So I'm mid-flight. I turn around. I go to walk. My foot goes into the sidewalk edge. I fall down. I sprain my ankle. I bust my knee open. My ankle's immediately the size of a grapefruit, but the cops are coming! So I I hobble off as fast as a human being can run. Now, just to give you a visual, from this place I'm standing to about the stop sign out here is about how far away from my house I was. It was about that far, maybe a little further, but not much. Stone throw. I hobble home, blood's all down my knee, ankle's got a nice grapefruit on it. I'm hobbling down. I just left all the toilet paper out there. I could have used it later. Who knows? I just don't want to go to jail. This is no joke. I notice from the stop sign as I'm running, I notice a car pulling off from my front yard. When I got to my front yard, my house had been egged five times. And they busted probably 16 garbage bags of confetti. No, 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 not toilet paper, confetti. It was little tiny pieces of confetti. All 
all over the yard. Eggs on the door, the front door. Confetti literally looked like the Super Bowl had been played at my front yard. I come, this is no joke. I'm telling you the honest truth to try to prove a point of God turning you over. And, and I hobble up, blood's coming down. I come to the front door. This woman right here, that, that, that one, right, that you think is so wonderful. That woman opened the door handed me a broom, hurt, didn't care that I was bleeding, didn't care that my ankle hurt, handed me a broom and said, enjoy cleaning it up. I don't know if she called somebody. I don't know if she had something between her and God. I have never forgotten the power of going against authority. So notice this, that if you want to go against God, he will let you. If you decide you would rather govern your own life, he will let you. If you want to live stupid, your father will let you. And the way he combats that is like any parent, he lets you reap what you sow. And it is to kind of wake us up that I might need to serve, otherwise my life is going to be a disaster. It goes on, it says, just think they would learn. Every time Israel went out to battle, the Lord was against them. So let's not blame it on the devil. God said, you want to run your own life? You want to, now we're talking about kingdom government, right? You want to run your own life? You want to be in charge of yourself? You want to call your own shots? Go for it, baby. But while you're out there and you think it's the devil against you, it's not, it's me, because I'm not going to bless a child that is running in rebellion. So don't think it's the devil. I'm going to withhold my blessings off of you because I'm not going to bless a child that's running in rebellion. And my belief, this is an opinion, my belief there's a lot of Christians rebuking the devil and it's not the devil, it's that God is backed off because you want to do your own thing and he's not going to bless your own thing. He needs you up under his government doing life the way he desires you to do it. All right? So the Lord, what does God do? Well, he's good. He's a good God. But he's ne- Here's what you need to know about people that believe in suffering. God is never trying to hurt you. God is never trying to put you in distress. God is never trying to torment you. And God really doesn't like to teach you lessons. Life will do it. What God is attempting to do is rescue you, deliver you, and help you. But when we're stubborn... And this is the teaching tonight. When we're stubborn, the kingdom of God cannot fully manifest in our life. So in this kingdom life God's setting up in the Old Testament, you're going to see constant, some of them obey, some rebel, some are evil, some are good. But every time they're good, things go well. And every time they're evil, things don't go well. It's just a weird pattern of God's people. So the Lord raises up judges to rescue them from their attackers. Yet they still would not listen to the judges, but they prostituted themselves by worshiping other gods. How quickly they turned away from the path of their ancestors who walked in obedience with the Lord's command. Now, whenever the Lord raised up a judge over Israel, he was with that judge and he rescued the people from their enemies throughout the judge's lifetime. I love this. Just to know how good of a God he is, he took pity on them. He knows you're a human. He's not trying to hurt you. He's trying to help you. But what it's going to tell us about the kingdom of God and what's going on is that God, here's my thinking, I cannot find anywhere in Scripture where God leaves us to lead ourselves. Because we'll go off the deep end real quickly. God has always established people, people being humans, humans to ordain them to lead his people so his people don't go off track. Now the issue with that is because it is people, we can mess you up. Because the leader can go off track. Because the leader is a human and the leader himself is not keeping lined up with God, then the leader can lead all the people away from God. But if a a leader is bad, God doesn't go, well, I'm never going to use another leader. Which makes you think, 
If you're going to follow a leader, you need some discernment about where you're going. Right? So this is what God is doing. Final verse. But when the judge died, in other words, when the person that kind of kept everybody on track, when the person that kind of called the shot of the battle, the judge was the one that would go into battle. They were the warrior. They were the, we would call him a hero. They were the hero that would rise up and go, let's take charge. And everybody would be like, yeah, let's do that. And they would go rout the enemy, and God would bless this judge. But when he died... Here's what's so weird. They'd go right back to their corrupt ways. So so the reality of what God is teaching us is that if God doesn't ordain someone to take the charge of leading, you will have chaos. Now this, this principle of someone in charge with authority to lead the charge also plays itself out in marriage. God ordains the man, not because he's better than the woman, it's that that's just what he ordained. There are many women smarter than their husband, and you're keeping him out of jail, and you're helping him stay sane, and you have more wisdom than he has. But just because he's a dummy doesn't take him out of God ordained the man to be the lead. And the reality is I do believe in mutual submission. I I think it's just not an issue when both submit to the betterment of each other. But any time you have two people in a marriage, you better know that even though you mutually submit, there will be a time where you're going to come to disagreement and go, well, well, you got to choose. And in that choosing, my belief is God holds the husband accountable. And that man needs to be pressing into God to find out where he needs to go. Because God's going to hold that man accountable to where he led his bride. Now that tells me something about the bride. You're going to have to trust a man that he could miss it and he could blow it. And that is true. I mean, we all can. But I want to establish as we move through this that just because a human has weaknesses and flaws and failures and can potentially miss it, it doesn't stop it from being God's design of government. So let's look at it. God's kingdom government raises up, and this is the deep thought tonight of kind of how we're going to build. God's kingdom government raises up human authority to represent heavenly authority to make sure the right path is maintained. I will let that stay there a minute and let it soak in while you write and fill in the blank. I'll read it one more time. God's kingdom government raises up human authority. Broken, flawed. They can do evil to you. They can deceive you. They can take you into the jungles to drink Kool-Aid. They can steal your money. They can teach false doctrine. Or they can die with you on a hill and love you and teach you the great. But anytime we say human and add authority into it, there's a lot of problems that arise. But just because there's a lot of problems that arise, I can't just scratch it off and go, yeah, I don't want to deal with human authority. I can do this on my own. I don't need a pastor. I don't need a leader. Just me and the Holy Ghost in the closet is what we need. I was going to throw this. I was going to say something, but I want to judge it. I would highly advise to be careful with that thinking. Because I'm not opposed to people getting in closets, living their own independent life with their Bible. But what I find all through the Bible is God has designed us all to be under authority. Now, I show up every week, I try to do due diligence. I read the Bible, I pray over it. I I just ran downstairs 15 minutes, 20 minutes ago and opened up the communion and broke bread and had the wine and the bread. And I said, God, I'm about to teach the Bible. I want to teach right. I don't want to say dumb things. I want you to use me. So I understand that we can miss it. But I also want to tell you that this human authority that God gives us is that I do my best to come here to lead us all where I believe heaven is wanting this group of people to go. 
and I myself know I can miss it. So I just shared with you about where we're going on Sunday morning. Before I've had a talk with you about that, I've had five conversations with people that I'm submitted to, that I trust, and I even say, hey, I have an idea, I want to run it by you because I don't want to be wrong. I know I can be wrong. I just want to test it, and so I test, I test, I test. Well, everybody I tested it with, I, oh, I feel good about that run. I'm praying yes, yes, yes. So then that allows me to come here under human authority and to say, well, I feel like heaven wants us to flip the script on Sunday because that's the path God wants this church to run right now. And in this, it can get messy. Come on, right? Well, did he really hear God? What if it wasn't heaven? I mean, come on, it's just true for all of us. It's kind of why I shy away from saying God said, because the moment a human being says God said, you back everybody else against a wall. Because who dare is going to come against God said? That's why I always try to say, I sort of feel like in my heart, and it's just my opinion, because I rarely stand up and go, thus saith the Lord. That's pretty bold. I'm not saying I wouldn't if I did, but... I would sure want to test it. So that's my thought. So what I want to do is take these judges and show you the cycle of what God is trying to do and what's going on with humans, but my goal is to teach you something in it. This is not on your worksheet. If you want to write it on the back, you can. So there's the blue arrow that's in a circle, and in the middle says the cycle of sin and the judges raised up. Now here's the cycle, step one. Israel serving God. Step two, as usually when it starts going good in your life, Israel rebels against God. Step three, when a human rebels against God, Israel is now attacked by their enemies. Then when they're attacked by their enemies, oh, what's wrong with me? I've just been so terrible. Then the next one is point four, they repent. And then when they tell God they're sorry and they turn back to God, God raises up a judge. And when God raises up a judge, that judge goes out and routes the enemies, and there'll be peace for 20 years, 15 years, 40 years, 3 years, typically until the judge dies. And as soon as the judge died, they would start the process over again. Now, it's teaching us a great thing about humans. Is that left to ourselves, we just stay in a spin of rebellion and flesh. And I've even heard people say, well, you know, man, you just sin every day. And I'm like, no, you don't have to sin every day. What do you mean sin every day? Sin has been conquered. Well, I'm just a sinner that sin, you know, we all sin every day. No, we don't all sin every day. If we all sin every day, then sin is a power that cannot be broken. You might sin every day, but that's because you're fleshly. But if you, if you submit to the government of God, the Holy Spirit will lead you around the temptation that is coming against you. So what he's going to teach me in this cycle of six things is, is you'll serve God, then rebel, and then when they rebel, life goes terrible, you're attacked. Then number four, the suffering and the pain and the attacking may last for years. They finally repent, meaning they go back to God's wisdom. When they go back to God's wisdom, God's like, okay, here's your judge. The judge is like, let's charge the hill. And they kill everybody off that's attacking them. And then they live at peace and they serve God while they're at peace. But the power of the book of Judges is, you'll la if you read it, you'll laugh. You will literally laugh. You'll sit there and drink coffee and go, these people are idiots. Like, you'll be by chapter 4 going, did they get it? Like, how stupid are these people? Like, don't they see the pattern? And sometimes my belief is we're so familiar with God that we live in patterns of behavior that aren't even kingdom. My belief about local church is we're so good at doing local church. Well, we sing, and then we have a little tra-la-la, and then they have an announcement, and then we shake hands, and then we preach, and we take communion, and then we pray, and we go home. Like you can do it with your eyes closed, which is great. Habits are good. But a lot of times the familiarity keeps you in a cycle because the familiarity, you lose the awe. You lose the power. 
you lose the, the, the unction of what God is trying to do in your life. I noticed this years ago when I was reading my Bible, and I was just going through it, and I came to a passage, a chapter, and as soon, I'll just, this is just be my thought, the chapter was Galatians 5. And I was like, God, Galatians 5, I already know what that's about. Like, I literally said that. Oh, Galatians 5, I already know what that's about. And I do. I had learned the whole book by memory. And I got so convicted because the moment I flipped past and went, I already know what that's about. I got convicted that the Lord spoke to me, then you only see it as a book and not living. Because if it's living, you can read the same chapter for 50 years and it'll just come alive. You ever read the Bible and thought, I've never seen that before. And then you feel stupid. You're like, how, how did I read over that? You call your friend, you ever read that? Yeah, I've read that a thousand times. Oh my Lord, I've never seen that before. It's because it's breathing. It's, it's different than any other book. Every other book, you flip the page, I know what that's about. It's never new. But you open up his word. And so what God is showing us here is a pattern that God raises up judges to keep his people on track. Because left to ourselves, birds of a feather will flock together. Offended people will hang out with offended people, mad people with mad people, sad people with sad people, sick people with sick people. And it takes a leader to come in going, dear God, what are we doing? Somebody needs to repent. Right? And then when we repent, healing comes. And we're like, how did I get stuck in that? So never deny or never downplay, and this is where I'm going to dig a little deeper now, never downplay that God uses a human to have authority to help you stay on track. But we need to be careful in that, same as me, but I can't deny that that's what God does, which makes standing up here every week a little bit humbling that I could say something that's not right, but you better believe before I open my mouth, I have thought about it, I have mused over it, I have prayed about it, I have caught, if it's something that I think is a little, uh, I've called four or five people and said, I've got to, uh, and I want to make sure before I, uh, that it's God and not my flesh. I don't want to, so I know I am a human, but I try, if I stand up here and talk to you, I try to have worked all my humanness out of the thing so that I can present halfway what the Bible teaches that's not so much clouded by my opinions. Now, I gave you a list of the judges just to prove a point. There's, depending on who you read, there's 12 or 13 of them. 99% of the people say 12. So I'm giving you a list of the 12. Now, these people would be called the heroes. These are the, this is the, the, the big 12 here. These are the guys that, and the lady that ran in and really made a difference in the world because they routed enemies and they were a sign of Israel's repentance and God would raise them up. So everyone you see is that somebody repented, God sent them a hero. Somebody repented. So here's the first one, Othaniel. Number two, Ehud. Number three, Shamgar, like one of the shortest verses in the Bible he gets about one verse, and then that's all you know about him. But beautiful story if you ever want to read it. There's Deborah. Come on, ladies, for all the people that say God doesn't use women, they need to read the Bible. Gideon. We, most of us know that story. Number six, Tola. Number seven, Yair. Number eight, Jephthah. Number nine, Ibzan. Number ten, Elon. Musk. Uh, what if he has come back? What if, oh, Lord. Oh. So uh, who knows? He's probably over there. And they're like, what are you doing with Leon? I'm making an automatic camel, you know? <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> number, 10, number 10 is Elon. Number 11 is Abdon. And then most everybody that's a Christian knows number 12, Samson. Uh, I will say this. It, it is some of the best fun reading in the Bible because the stories are alive with life and what's happening and what these judges are doing. And it's just, it's great easy reading if you're a parent. It's fun reading with kids and you get to read a bunch of really cool stories. So those are the 12 judges. Here's my thinking of that. Why did I give you a list of name of 12 judges? I've said this many times already, but here it is in a thought. 
Because I want you to understand that God uses humans to accomplish and carry out his kingdom government by appointing them to operate in different leadership roles. The 12 people that I named to you were given a name in the Bible because God wants us to know that his authority is good to work with humans. And if God is good to work with humans, then I need to humble myself and go, then so do I need to be able to work with humans. And if God is good enough to work with humans that have all kind of issues, then I need to be good enough to work with humans who have issues. You will never find a perfect human. Stay here long enough, I'll irritate you probably. I'll say something may hurt you. I may, I'm a human. We're disillusioned to think that there's a perfect group of humans. You just need to hang out with the ones that are dumb like you or weird like you or like what you like and get in with them and just hang with them. If they sing the songs you got, get in and sing with them because there's not a perfect group anywhere. Sometimes you'll love the preacher, can't stand the music. Love the music, preacher's boring. Love the preacher, love the music, can't stand the people. Love the people, hate everybody else. I don't like the people, the preacher, or the music. I go because my kids like it. My kids hate it, but I go because I don't want to get cancer and die. You know what I mean? <laughs> Who knows why people come? But I do know this. I've been in the game long enough. I can tell you why they leave. People. I don't always know why they come in the door. Various reasons. I was invited. I'm looking for something new. I can tell you 99% of the time when they don't show up and they quit, it's people. They've got their feelings hurt. Something went wrong. Somebody bothered them. A preacher said something. But here's what you need to know. I'm going to read it again. God uses humans to accomplish and carry out his government by anointing and appointing them to operate in different roles. So I'm going to let it burn just in your soul a minute because I need you to grab hold of this real deep truth. God's okay with this. And if he is, I need to be. And I need to be okay that sometimes people genuinely love God and still have issues. And just because they have issues doesn't mean they don't love God. They're just a human now, the weird thing about this is when you stand up and lead people, you got people following you. We won't have time to teach this tonight, but it's a thought for us. When we stand up and proclaim, I'm a leader, or like in our generation, I'm an apostle, I'm a prophet, I'm an evangelist, whatever we would label ourselves, the moment you wear the label of someone who carries the authority, the Bible says you will be judged more strictly. I don't know what that means, but I've definitely wrestled with it. Because I stand up here on a Sunday and Wednesday, and I give you the best I got. Sometimes I go back and listen to it 10 years later and go, dear Lord, that was horrible. But I give you, in the moment, I give you the best I have. But there's something very in me that knows one day I will stand before God, and he's going to judge me of everything I've taught you. Because that's what he does with people who lead. If he gives you his authority, he's going to judge you off of it. So whether humans judge me or not, I will one day stand before God and have to give an account. And my, my heart is, I hope he kind of thumbs up me. He might go, you had a little off right here, son. Oh, okay, good. Am I going to get in? You know, I was laughing or not. I might not make Main Street, but maybe 12th Street. I don't know. So let's watch what God's going to do to raise up different leaders. Now this is where the Old Testament gets very deep and interesting and the stories get very intricate. We jump from the book of Judges now to the book of Samuel because now we're going to leave the error of the judges and the heroes. But we're going to do it very succinctly, succinctly and very purposely. It's going to shift. And when it shifts, it's going to cause a world of problems. So here's what I can gather. Now, I, I could be off here because I've not deep studied the history of this, but in the surface level of it. What I find is that it was God's idea to raise up judges, but it was man's idea to raise up kings. 
And the majority of the rest of the Bible is all about the kings. They kill each other, fight each other. They split in two, southern kingdom, northern kingdom, bigger than you, hate you. So what we pick up in Samuel is, and this may help you understand some of why the Bible can be so intricate in the stories, is the book of Samuel is going to introduce us into the governing of God through kings, but the government of God through kings was their own human wisdom. And that is going to cause a lot of chaos. So as you come through Judges and you run into the book of Samuel, you're going to see a shift from God-appointed judges to self-leadership. Now, God will still anoint them and ordain them, but they've picked up a different kind of the way they want to be governed, which is normal with us humans. We don't mind God being a little bit, but not all. Let's pick it up, 1 Samuel 8. As Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons judges. So Samuel's still trying to keep the thing alive. It's the judges that we need. So Joel and Abijah, his oldest sons, held court in Beersheba, verse 3 of 1 Samuel 8. But they were not like their father, for they were greedy for money. So here's what we know already, and I've said it over and over and over, but I would love to belabor the point more. Even when somebody has been appointed to lead, we still have human tendencies to fail. They were appointed to be a judge by Samuel, but they were greedy. Flesh is always there. I don't know if you've ever bumped into it. Hang out with yourself long enough, it'll show up. (laughs) Verse 4 of 1 Samuel 8. Finally, all the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. Your kids are jerks. They're greedy, so they're having a come-to-Jesus meeting with him. Look, they told him, you're old and your sons aren't like you. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations. Samuel, verse 6, was displeased with their request, and he went to the Lord for guidance. Now, I want you to notice what happens when God's leaders become fleshly. It opens the door to search for other ways to find peace and governing in your life. The judges, his sons, failed them. And out of their failure, they said, well, rather than having your kids be judges that we're used to, we'd rather have a king like all the other nations. In other words, they even tell you that the way God was leading them was different than everybody else. Everybody else was led by a king. Israel were led by judges, chosen by God, raised up by God. Well, they get greedy, and what happens when humans fail humans? We start looking for alternatives. Well, I used to go to that church, but they bothered me. I've gone somewhere else. Uh, This is a funny story. I'm going to tell it. Probably don't need to, but it's funny. They find a guy, if you've heard it, just laugh anyway. They find a guy on an island by himself. He's been there 30 years, shipwrecked. They discover him. They find him. They come. And he's like, oh, you found me. And they said, well, well, get ready. He said, i got to go get all my stuff. And there's these three buildings. He's all by himself, and he, they said, well, what is this over here? He said, well, that's my house. I built it right when I got here. And they're like, awesome. well, what's that right there? He said, well, that, that right next to my house is my church. I love God, and I wanted to serve him, so I built a church that I could attend church. So I got a house, and I got a church. And they said, well, what's that building over there? He said, well, that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> he offended his own self and built another church. That's how we humans are. Thank you for laughing, right? They tell him, they say, look, we're, we, we're tired. Humans are greedy. Give us a king. So Samuel seeks out the Lord, verse 7. Listen to what God said. Be careful what you ask God for. Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for they are rejecting me and not you. So the moment they said, we don't want judges, they're rejecting God. Even though the judges were greedy and still human, God's approval was still on them to govern even though they had these selfish quirks about them. So God says, oh, you want a king? Tell them they're rejecting me, not you and your kids. And they don't want me to be their king any longer. So in other words, what God is saying is, you're asking for a king, but I am the king. And what we learn about the government of God 
is that he is the king over the government, but he's okay to wield a little bit of his authority to the subjects that are in his kingdom to keep his kingdom on path. So the moment they say we want a king, God takes that personally because he says, no, I'm the king and I give you heroes to keep you safe, but oh, you've rejected. Okay, you can have a king. Go ahead. Yo, you, no, 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 my government's not going to chase you down. I'm good with me, but, but uh, yeah, you guys go ahead. So that's what he tells him. He said, they continually abandon me. And they follow other gods, and now they're giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but solemnly warn them about the way a king is going to treat them. Open your Bibles. I want everybody to open them. We're going to read a text. Now, what I've established is that God's government uses humans, but the humans that are used are chosen and appointed by Him, not self-appointed, But when those humans have flaws, they hurt other humans, and then those other humans try to have self-appointed leaders. So God says, okay, you don't want me to be the king and rule the government. You want to rule the government. Okay, tell them they can have their king. Let's pick up the story, 1 Samuel 8, verse 10. Buckle up. This is interesting. So Samuel passed on the Lord's warning. He said to the people that were asking for a king, this is how a king is going to reign over you, Samuel said. The king will draft your sons and assign them to his chariots and charioteers. He'll make them run before his chariots. Some will be generals and captains in the army, and some will be forced to plow the fields and harvest the crops, and some will make his weapons and chariot equipment. The king will take your daughters from you and force you to cook and bake and perform for, make perfumes for him. He will take away the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his own officials. He will take a tenth of your grain and your grape harvest and distribute it among his officers and attendants. He will take your male and female slaves and demand the finest of your cattle and donkeys for his own use. He will demand a tenth of your flocks and you will be his slaves. And when the day comes, you'll beg for relief from this king you're demanding, but the Lord won't even help you. But the people, listen, refuse to listen to the warning. How dumb are we? They refused to listen. They said back to God, well, even so, we want a king. Is that not the dumbest thing ever? That you're going to be a slave, they're going to abuse your children, I still want a king. Well, you're going to be working for them, losing all your money, I want a king. That's me, I want to go roll a yard. We want to be like everybody else around us, and our king will judge us and lead us into battle. I wrote down the final two verses for you. Look here at the TV. But the people refused to listen to Samuel's warning. Even so, they said, all the stuff bad that you said will happen to us, we don't care. I like being in charge of my own life. I like being like the world. I like being under their system. I like their wisdom. I like the way they have a king. And yet, though this is thousands of years ago, we find ourselves in 2023 with the same thing. I want to love God, but I don't want his government over my life. I don't want to live by his wisdom. I want to follow the ways of the world. I want to live the world system and chase their money and chase their stuff and deal with their wares and eat their food and drink their libations. But I want God to bless me the whole time. And God's like, no. I'll turn you over to you if you want. Or either I'm going to be king. There is no middle ground. I'm either king or I'm nothing. Which is why Jesus would say, I need you in or out, hot or cold. There is no middle road. You don't get two kings. You get me or him. You you pick. And they said, well, we want a king. And then they say this, our king will judge us. Our king will lead us into battle. And off comes the entire rest of the Old Testament. Read the stories. They're tragic. You start reading about 18,000 died, 33,000 died, murders and 
just, uh, just crazy rapes and pillaging and killing each other off, and, and yet they're good with it. I wonder a lot of times if God's people aren't in the middle of the world and we think that the world is his kingdom and we just tolerate everything rather than stopping and taking a breath and saying, God, am I under your government? Am I living by your wisdom or my own wisdom? So Samuel, verse 21 of 1 Samuel 8, he repeated to the Lord what the people said, and the Lord replied, okay, do as they say, give them a king. Do as they say? God, if you're that big, do as they say? And it made me stop and think, I wonder how much in my life is God just going, just whatever Mark wants, let him do it. I've tried to stop him. I've tried to get his attention. I've tried. Just go ahead and let him do it, Holy Ghost. We've tried to convict him. We've tried to stop him. We've put red flags up. But he's determined to run his flesh and do his own thing. So let's just back off a minute and let that, let that play out. I'm not saying God turns his back on you. I'm not saying God's... God necessarily is, is, you know, just ignoring you. But I do, this is my belief. I do believe that there are times that the King of kings and Lord of lords looks at us as his children who are consistently rebelling, living by our own flesh and our own wisdom, that the king doesn't back up and say, uh, there can't be two kings here. So while you're leading yourself, I'm going to take a back seat and I'm going to let you be in charge of judging yourself. And I think that's where the danger becomes of how critical it is to live a repentant life in love with the Holy Spirit. Because he'll keep you, he'll keep you safe. Here are the governing roles of the Old Testament. So there's four of them of the way God takes this motley crew of humans and he leads them. I guess he could have done it by himself, but in some way he always picked a Moses, a Noah, somebody. Number one, they're the judges. You'll also read about the prophets. They had some type of governing role in the kingdom. You may remember the story when Nathan comes in and rebukes the king. He said, well, you're trying to hide something, but it's you. So the prophets had a lot of power. You can remember Ahab when they were wrestling with Elijah. Go get that old scoundrel over there. The prophets could cause a lot of issues for the kings, good or bad. And then priests, we've studied about those. But they had some type of governing role in the kingdom. And then the final one is the kings. So all of these, as you read through the Bible and you see the word judge, priest, king, prophet, you can just think in your mind, this is government. This has something to do with the government of God. So if you read Elijah was, you can read the story of Elijah and go, there's something about God's government in his life story. As you read about the kings, whether good or bad, you can say there's something about the kings that can tell me about the government of God. Here's what we know, though, is that we know in the Old Testament that God's word, what they were to be obedient to, the judge, the prophet, the priest, and the king, they were to be obedient to his word, the Ten Commandments. Uh, it would later become the law. If you want to see the book of Nehemiah, the book of Ezra, they dug up the law and they would read it all day long. There was such awe about the law. It's the way God kind of, how does God keep these men, these judges, prophets, priests, and kings in line? How does he keep them in authority? He puts his law over their life. They were to live the law. The longest psalm in the Bible, Psalm 119, is, is uh, append to tell us all the beautiful of the law. I've hidden thy law in my heart. Your law is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path. It's the way God would do it. But we want our own judge. I don't want your law. I want to live my own thing. I want to make my own rules. We ditch God. I'm tired of you. I don't want you in my life. I X that out. I think it's normal human tendencies. The wisdom of God doesn't sit well with us. And so judges, prophets, priests, and kings, they're like, the kings were like, we want a king. We don't want to submit to this. We want to do our own thing and judge our own thing. So God says, okay, here you go. I'll give you your kings. It would take me months to teach on them. But what we get is 31 evil kings. It seems like it's not much in your favor, is it? <laughs> Seven good kings and five kings that start out well and end sloppy. 
So you get 31 evil kings, and I listed three of them for you. Saul, Rehoboam, and Ahab are probably three of the biggies. Rehoboam was one of the children of Saul, who basically was a jerk. And he decided, I think what I'm going to do is just tax everybody and make their life miserably hard. So we do know that sometimes, even though leaderships are ordained, they can make very poor decisions. And he caused a lot of evil to come because of what he did. And most people know Ahab, read the stories of him. Seven good kings, here's three of them, David, Josiah, and Usiah. I'll not belabor David, there's a lot of stories about him, but Josiah, Josiah's a cute, cute little kid. He became king at eight years old. That ought to make you uh, be a little nervous. An eight-year-old became king, but he was so in love with the law and the stuff that he would do. Read the story of Josiah. It is astounding what God can do through a little eight-year-old kid that decided to put him first. So let's never bemoan the fact that God can even speak through babes. And God can even sometimes have a child speak to you and convict your heart <laughs> real quick like. Just sit down with your children and say, what do y'all see about mom and dad? And let them be truthful without getting a spanking and watch how quickly you need to change. Mixed kings, there were five of them. And by mixed, I mean started well, ended poorly. And Solomon would be one of them. He's the wealthiest, smartest. You read his Proverbs every single day. People say a proverb a day will keep the devil away. The book of Ecclesiastes, but what you find out about a proverb of day, keep the devil away, Solomon didn't even apply it to his own self because he married over 300 plus women, 700 concubines, and by the end of his life, they had led him astray. So what it teaches me about God's people is that we can be truly in love with him at the beginning, but if we're not careful to keep walking, we can get off track, and everybody can get off track. So what I'm going to learn through this list of kings, 31 evil, 7 good, I'm going to go that, hey, there's always bad people out there that can hurt you. Hey, don't ever despise younger people who God may want to use. They may not be the most talented, but they can be anointed. And then number three, realize that every good person, if you're not careful and you don't make sure that you're keeping your spirit check, every good person in the room can have a meltdown. And that's what it teaches us about these kings. Here's the moral of all these kings, some 40-plus kings. The moral is that God runs a great risk to allow humans to participate in his government. God runs a great risk to choose you. But he still does it, and this is where it gets fun. They choose their own thing, but God wants you to know he's the king. Even though we blow it, even though we have all these issues, and God knows that there's certain risk, though humans, here's the thought, though humans are a certain risk for evil in God's kingdom government, He still chooses to ordain humans to have authority to rule with Him. I'll read it one more time. Though humans are a certain risk for evil, in God's kingdom government, God still chooses to ordain humans to have authority to rule with Him. Here's what's interesting. It's not just an Old Testament concept, the New Testament. Now these are the gifts, Ephesians chapter 4, that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. They have little different titles. They're not really titled kings. They're not really titled priests and all of that. And then it says this, and their responsibility. In other words, God in his kingdom chooses people to have responsibility to lead other people, to equip them, to make sure they stay on track, to build them up. I mean, God's been risking it with us for thousands of years. But just because we're flawed and we blow it, he didn't stop. He didn't come to the New Testament and say, well, I'm Jesus, and well, I died for you, and I, I crucified, I was the perfect Lamb of God. You people are sorry, no good humans. So therefore, just everybody do whatever and follow me. He said, no, I've resurrected for you, but I'm giving gifts back to you of men and women that will take responsibility to lead my kingdom to keep my people on track. It's like, dear Lord, this is going to be a royal mess. 
Here it is in the New Testament. The New Testament, we get apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But the beautiful thing about that, God's word in the Old Testament was stone, but now God's word is in the flesh. God's word is in the flesh. God didn't change the system. God didn't quit choosing humans to lead. God didn't stop giving people authority just because we blow it. He moved into the New Testament and the stone, the law, became flesh. Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ becomes the king over the whole system. Here's the thought. It's going to get interesting as we close it. Flawed humans who lead in God's government are not going away. I got three amens. I'm going to read that again. (laughs) Come on, you know who they are. Flawed humans. Every pastor, every elder, every Sunday school teacher, every well-meaning mother, dad, flawed humans who lead in God's government are never going away. Just because you have issues, God doesn't let you daddies off the hook. Well, I'm just real busy. Yeah, he's not letting you off the hook to lead. Well, I'm not a good leader. You're still not off the hook. Flawed as you may be. Well, I don't listen well. That's a big deal. Go to counseling and learn. You're not let off the hook. You're never let off the hook because of a flaw. I try my best here to lead with my flaws out front. I try to let you know my quirks, my ADD tendencies at times, my pouting a little bit, my weirdness a little bit, my I can see you right here and totally walk by you and forget you because I got 90 other things on my brain. I can be in the middle of a conversation with you and not even know what you're saying because I'm thinking about 90 things over here. I have to get all that together. But I try to put that out in front of you because the last thing I need you thinking is that I got it all together. I need you knowing that the boy leading you is desperate to have Jesus and the Spirit help me. I don't ever want to think I'm educated enough or smart enough or anointed enough because I know I can be super anointed and blow it the next day. So you got to be careful with that. All right? Now watch this is Ephesians 4, just to show you. Now these gifts, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, verse 13, will continue. How long? Until you get offended? Nope. They'll continue until 2024? Nope. They will continue until we all come into such unity of our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature. So you will need a leader in your life until you die. Because nobody's ever going to reach full maturity on planet Earth. And I'll tell you how I know. Because the moment you think you are at full maturity, the enemy will peel off a layer of flesh. And you'll smell something. Like, what's that smell? You'll think it's everybody else in the room. It's not you. It's you. He peeled the layer back to let you know you're nowhere close to being perfected. And I don't know. It's like God just graciously lets us get to that point. We feel kind of good about ourselves, And oh, I'm anointed. And then he just kind of peels it back. And you're like, where'd that flesh come from? All of us need to be growing up and mature. So here's the thinking, the governing roles of God. The apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are not going away. They're here to keep you on track. Now the goal would be, can't I keep myself on track? No. It's no different than can't a three-year-old learn algebra? No. It's going to take somebody that knows what to do to help them get there. And the moment you think I can learn this on my own, you're deadly game to being deceived. It's the people that lock themselves in the closet that have deep, deep, deep thoughts that are so deep it makes your head hurt. I don't know if you've ever read those posts on Facebook. You read it and it's like, God, that's deep. That's so deep I don't even understand it. I had to read that again. That's so deep. I, that doesn't even sound biblical, but it sounds brilliant. That's brilliantly unbiblical. That's amazing. Because when you're left to yourself, you can have all kind of imaginations. So God, and that just goes to show, wherever God plants your life, you need to be definitely trekking with whoever's leading you. And you need to make sure that he or she is submitted and that you too are submitted. 
because you're both walking the kingdom government. So here's the thought. We'll end with a scripture reading shortly in the book of Revelation. If God continues to use flawed humans, won't it be continued evil and failure? I mean, that, that's, that's kind of the statistic. If God is going to use us flawed humans to lead, won't there be consistent, continued, flawed, failed leadership that hurt people? Yes. And God's still going to use us. Now the challenge becomes at the bottom of the thought, therefore, if a human leader is flawed, and I might know more than them, and a human leader does something that's hurt me to the point of failing me, the logical conclusion of a human is, I'm going to be my own king. I'll judge myself. I'm not saying we can't judge ourselves or can't be our own king. I'm just saying never let a flawed leader make you pull away from God's people and not have somebody leading you because they flawed or they failed you. Because the thing is, well, that's the system of God and that's why we all need and that's why you need discernment and that's why you don't need to just float wherever God you feel like you should float. God, where do you want me to plant my life? I'm going to plant there. And let the Holy Spirit lead you. Great passage of Scripture. This is going to open the door in the next few weeks to take us to the New Testament to understand the kingdom. Revelation chapter 11, verse 19. I mean chapter 19, verse 11. Revelation 19, verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and a name was written on him that no man knew but he himself. And he wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, dressed in finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. And from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with an iron rod, and he will release the fear wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press, and on his robe. <laughs> and his thigh was written the title. Oh, come on, he gets back in the charge. King of kings and Lord of lords forevermore. God never ceased himself wanting to be the king of his government. He tried to be the king in the Old Testament? No. All right, there's your kings. Thousands of years blowing it. He comes off the throne and says, there's the law in the stone. Now the law will be here in the flesh. And the law in the flesh, I'm going to establish once and for all that I am the king over my kingdom. You are not the king. You will never be so anointed that you get to call the shots in the kingdom of God. But, the king still chooses to work with us humans. So the goal of this thing is to keep him in kingship. Most of us don't think about that today. We call him Savior. We call him Lord. But he is truly the king of all kings. And he rules his own kingdom. And he demands that we come under his government. And he puts other humans in charge of his government to help us in his government. Here's the thought. The risk, I wish I would have known this when I was 22 pastoring. I, I worked really hard and got a lot of frustration. The thought is the risk is not in the perfection of humans. I was so immature when I started pastoring in 1996 that I opened my mouth and told my sweet bride, I will never offend anybody. <laughs> oh, but I meant it. I meant it with everything in me. I had been in a church and I'd seen what pastors did and I'd watch them forget people and abuse people, and I stood there with my little stoic first time in the pulpit, 
something year old. I think I was 31, what, 1996, so 31. Just so excited to preach. And, I'm going to, and I literally said, I'm going to be the best pastor anybody's ever had. And I'm never going to offend anybody. I'm going to love everybody. Because what I didn't know is God knew all my flaws and picked me anyway. I just felt like I, I, I could keep all my flaws back here. Now, for those of you that did not know me, I pastored that way for 17 years. And it's why up here, I just try to stand here and go, I'm just a little broken dude that loves God and I can blow it. And I, because I, I'm so happy. When I quit, most of you don't know my story, I quit doing this. I made a deal with God. I failed you. So I'm never going to do it again. That ought to make you proud. Because my failure was huge and it was embarrassing. It was hurtful and it, was, it, was, uh, it just wasn't good. And I'll never forget the day I heard him say to my heart, Son, I knew you were a failure the first day I picked you. And I picked you anyway. Oh my God, he picked me anyway? No, 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 you don't pick me because I'm a failure. You pick me because I'm perfect, I'm anointed, I'm powerful. Like, oh, ah. He goes, no, I knew you were a pouty little jerk that would fail me. And I picked you anyway. I'm telling you, when I wrote this today... Something comes over me that we have to come to the place in the kingdom of God. There's not a perfect one among us. There's nobody in this room that's arrived. Everybody in here has got a quirk, a ism, and a schism, and a weirdness, and a failure, and a flaw. Get over it. It's okay. Why? Because I love the beauty of it. Anyone with ears to hear. All you flawed people, broken people, imperfected people, just listen to what the Spirit is trying to tell you. Now, He doesn't tell me individually in a closet, Revelation 2-7. Listen to what the Spirit is saying to the church. God wants to put your life in a group of people. And He puts you in a group of people that are broken and hurtful and will abuse you and abandon you. And He says, good, sit there because I'm going to speak to you by the Holy Ghost to the whole group of you. Here's where we're going in the future. God's design to share his rule with his kingdom government with humans is unchanging. In a few weeks, we're going to take over this thought. Again, God's design to share the rule in his kingdom government with humans is unchanging. The challenge is how will humans interact with God and each other. It's not whether God picks us. It's how we're going to interact with him and each other. Now, if I left you there, it would feel hopeless. And I kept you long, but for a reason. If I left us with, we all hurt each other and we're flawed, we would be hopeless. Why does God still use us? I'll tell you why. 1 John 4.21, he's given us a command, those who love God must also love each other. And the answer to that is, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. The only way you and I, the only way you and I ever make it is simply the help of the Holy Spirit. There is no other way. Absolutely no other way. The reason God never let us tap out and say, I'm ne why would He use flawed humans? Because God's going to use flawed humans, not because He trusts flawed humans. He trusts His Spirit. And what we're going to lean ourselves toward is by the time we roll into the New Testament, we find out the kingdom government of God is how we all relate to the person of the Holy Spirit. It's going to be a great teaching. Let me pray for you. Father.